Hi there, I'm Kyle Laternus, the Pioneer Rep from Landis, Saskatchewan, and this is the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. I'm Andrew Campbell and we've got a really interesting show for you today that takes us out of our usual conversations that center around corn, soybeans or wheat and look towards Western Canada to learn about the successes of the 2022 growing season in Saskatchewan as well as learn about the work that's being done to continually improve the canola crop on the prairies. To do that we've got two great voices on this subject. Jenna Gregoire is the area agronomist for Pioneer covering the northern parts of Saskatchewan. And Kyle Aternis is a Pioneer rep and a farmer who's based in the Landis area. Jenna and Greg, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem, Andrew. So, Kyle, I'm going to start with you. I, I really am, you know, first of all, just curious now that we're kind of, you know, post-harvest for you. How was 2022 as a growing season? Uh, in all honesty, a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, kind of coming off last year's drought, uh, we weren't really sure where we were going to be sitting um, come spring. And uh, initially, it kind of started off pretty dry uh, as well. Um, we were kind of generally starting to get worried about where we were going to be sitting. And then we did get kind of some rainfall <clears throat> in there towards the, the end of May. Um, beginning of June that really kind of turned things around and, and had us pointed in the right direction. And then uh, kind of towards the end of of summer, kind of right when we were getting close to uh, to deciding what we were going to do at harvest, it kind of kind of got quite hot and, and quite dry. And so we, we kind of finished out in, in kind of the average area. Um, and it's as we kind of do our hindsight, it's uh, it's probably was going to be average all the way along, but when you were comparing it to what was there last year, you know, guys were feeling pretty good for a good stretch of time. Like here we go. And then kind of finished off maybe a little bit less than what guys were hoping for. But when you compare it to last year, uh, guys were pretty happy with what they walked away with. So nice to have uh, mostly full bins again. Well, as you say, especially compared to a year like 2021, average probably feels pretty good so um now jenna is that kind of you know you're you're looking you're covering a wider area is that pretty much the case for your whole territory or was it variable across it uh my area was kind of a mixed bag um i guess overall yeah we could say it was average but uh some chunk of my area was wet really wet um some chunk was going into year four of drought uh, so it was extremely dry and hot. And then some chunk, uh, like Kyle would um, said there, was fairly average where we started off a little dry, but then we got moisture and overall things things averaged out. So it just kind of depended where you were in my area. It was kind of a really mixed bag. Um, but overall, though, with the, the exception of the southern part of my area, I would say guys were definitely happier this year, though, than what they were the previous year. So it was kind of nice to deal with a little bit too much water in some areas as opposed to not enough water in like last year. Well, that does just speak to the challenges that we all do. I mean, you know, you, you get to the point where you're choosing hybrids, where you're, you know, then going even into seed, 
not really knowing what to expect, whether you're going to face a drought, whether you're going to face it wet, what you're going to do. Jenna, as growers are starting to think about what type of seed selection they're going to go into 2023 with, given the last couple of years of that, you know, as you say, that enormous variability, um, you know, what kind of challenges do you think growers need to address when they are starting to pick hybrids? Well, I think because there is so much variability and of course, mother nature can really throw some curveballs in. Um, I think the biggest thing is not putting all of our eggs in one basket, like going with a uh, multi-hybrid approach with multiple different benefits that it brings to the table, I think is now more important than ever. Um, Depending on what happens in a year, whether it's an early frost or a late frost, because there's so much variability, I think that it's it's so important um, to bring multiple products onto that that farmer's um, production because it's uh, you never know what you're going to get, right? <laughs> then Kyle, that that is the real challenge is you never know what you're going to get. Um, give me an idea in terms of you know the, the area that you're in um, in Saskatchewan. What what are some of the big challenges that that growers are most concerned about, particularly when it comes to disease? Um, well, I mean, obviously, depending on on, on where you are, like um, you know, sclerotinia can can certainly be uh, be an issue um, for some guys who who deal with it kind of year after year, and and for others, um, you know, they kind of ask you what what is that? Um, and so you really kind of have to get down to the nitty gritty with the guys that you're working with or the operations that you're working with to see what they want. Um, and, you know, and we're kind of sitting in a, in a pretty good position uh, working with Pioneer because we do have a, a pretty full cupboard where, you know, we can really fine tune what they're looking for and match that into what we have. Right. So it's not, we're not saying here, here's what we have. It, it'll work everywhere. It's here, here's what's going to work for you. And that might look different for you. And that might look different for you. So that's kind of, you know, I, I'm pretty grateful uh, to be able to have a, a product list that we do have where we can match it up for exactly what they're looking for. Over your territory, what are some of the other pressures that a grower's really got to think about when they are starting to, to pick seeds? Well, club root is, is kind of that, uh, that swear word that uh, is definitely coming to mind for, for guys where we are now um, for operations. I know for a long time, you know, it, it was something that uh, our operations didn't really feel or didn't know if they had to worry about it or not. Um, but again, with, with the lineup and, and the work that Pioneer has done uh, incorporating clubber resistance into our products, um, you know, we, we kind of have a second to none uh, options list for, for those guys and, and to really give them a, a peace of mind in terms of what they have to choose from to, to make sure we're looking after their their land, not only now, but for, for future options too, right? And I think that that's kind of rest assured, maybe it's something that they, they don't um, have to worry about, but we're giving them the options so that they 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 don't have nightmares that, that some other areas might have. Jenna, I, I like the way Kyle phrased that. It's the swear word, club root. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, those that have faced the pressure of it, um, you know, how how big of a problem does it become? It, it's a really big problem. Um, and it really depends where you are. Like in that 
Edmonton, Alberta corridor, we kind of call that ground zero for Club Route. And of course, they were the first ones to really face it. And and uh, now they're facing what's called a, a race shift in Club Route as well. So typical or historical Club Route genetics that they would have grown. Um, now there's been a race shift in Club Route. So now they need to switch. Um, but what uh, Kyla was talking about with our genetics, though, I, I would say that Pioneer Hybrid really does have second to none breeding team when it comes to club root. And we have hybrids now um, that do have that new source of club root protection in there. So we do have an option for, for customers who can no longer grow the traditional uh, uh, club root resistant hybrids. So that part that part's really good. For, for our area though, we're still, we can still go with the traditional club root resistant hybrids. So our options are very wide, but it's great to know that our, our breeding team is really second to none and they've um, bred to that next level um, of expectations when it comes to club root resistance built into the hybrids. So it feels really good to be on, on that side of the fence and, and work with a company like Pioneer Hybrid for that. Yeah, I can certainly see that. Now, in terms of, you know, kind of using those, is it a case of, you know, still looking at different varieties, even if it hasn't necessarily been an issue? Or is it just, you know, maybe let's talk to the Pioneer rep uh, for whatever area it is just to find out whether this is something you need to think about. Well, when it club, comes to club root, we want to keep that spore load low. So even if club root isn't an issue on their farm, and let's be realistic, a lot of farmers don't actually test for club root on their farm. It's kind of one of those things where uh, neighbor X thinks that neighbor Y has it, and neighbor Y thinks that neighbor X has it, but nobody's actually tested for it. So the amount of club root that's probably out there is very high, but that's one nice thing with our lineup of seed is that no matter what you're purchasing, there's really only very few hybrids that don't have the club root genetics built right into it. So for our area, it's kind of something that we take away that um, worry of whether or not they can grow their hybrid in Saskatchewan because they can, no matter what they're what they're choosing, with the exception of a couple, um, it's built right in there, and it's uh, we're kind of taking away that worry for farmers, so they don't have to worry about if they're getting protection with their product because it's naturally built right in for them. Now, Kyle, when we do talk about traits, I want to shift to some um, you know kind of herbicide traded varieties here and hybrids. Give me an idea in your area. Are are there concerns, or what are the concerns that you hear from growers when they're choosing, um, you know, what kind of herbicide trait to go with? Uh, I think again that that really uh, depends on on the farm that you're on. Um, you know, based on on what they're looking for. I would say that there's probably than 50 percent that that would like and often that that doesn't include um you know glyphosate in their in their canola selection because you know guys are using it for their fall burn and their spring burn and their post burn in some instances and and in you know the way they want to run their farms is to have a different option um, whereas you know other operations really like the option of keeping it simple and going with what they got and they're you know they're tank mixing other products when they're when they're doing their uh, fall and and precede uh, burn offs, and then you have you know the other option who who is using um, you know Clearfield uh, system of canola um, because that's what fits best with their acres. So again, it's kind of when you kind of take a step back and see what you have to offer um, your customers, and and you can give them a choice of what really works best on their farm uh, for what they want. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty 
good position to be in uh, to really find out what works best for them or what they're thinking about and then come with a list of hybrids that that fits for them. Now, is it a case we've we've seen in other parts of the country that, you know, especially as, um, you know, a company comes out with more and more options for what kind of traits, you know, as you mentioned, whether it's, um, you know, glyphosate, whether it's Clearfield, um, you know, whether it's Enlist, whatever it happens to be, um, you know, is it a case of at what point do growers start thinking about mixing those up or is it a case of, you know, kind of the, the, the same, you know, tried and true is the best option. Jenna, you know, why don't I start with you? I think that uh, sometimes it can get overwhelming for producers, you know, when, when companies are coming out with new hybrids and, and your lineup gets bigger, but um, Pioneer Hybrid seems to do an extremely good job of not coming out with a hybrid unless it brings something new and exciting to the table or there's a need or a fit in the lineup. Um, so I, I think for producers, there's some that definitely will want that tried and true hybrid that's done the best for them on their farm year over year over year. Um, but reps like Kyle do an absolutely phenomenal job of doing plots that showcase all the different attributes of of what our lineup has to offer. So when somebody says, hey, I'm looking for a early maturity hybrid, you know, Kyle has that information in order to come with them. Or if they're looking for the highest yielder, um, he has all that all those data points in order to come to them and tell them what was the highest yielder last year. And uh, it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, what seems to be the highest yielder year over year for one farmer isn't necessarily the highest yielder year over year for the next farmer, which is why that multiple hybrid approach that we're trying to promote with um, with producers is so important so that we kind of can cover all bases that they're looking for. Now, I do want to come back to that, you know, kind of in terms of, you know, looking ahead to the next, you know, not just even the 2023 growing season, but beyond. But there's one other point that I that I do want to mention, and that comes around the, you know, seed applied technologies, mainly because it's actually a topic that's come up on this show many times over, um, you know, just about the results that can come from that. Certainly, you know, I think one of the big things that that a lot of growers are finding, and this actually came up just in the last episode, um, you know, with Dave Harwood, was the earlier we can get this seed in the ground, you know, the better chance it has, um, you know, to return, you know, obviously a profitable crop at the end of the year. The challenge just being how long can it, you know, sit in the soil? Both of you, I'd like both of you to answer this. Maybe, Jenny, you can start. You know, in terms of seed applied technologies that are that are available, how important is it for a grower to determine, you know, what needs to go on the seed so that they can be ready as early as, you know, the 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 soil will let them get into seed? Yeah, I mean, um, seed treatments are so important. Um, in Saskatchewan, we're a little bit different than what the, the eastern portion of Canada would be, whereas our, our seeding time frame is fairly small. <laughs> we're, we sometimes, you know, May 5th, we have snow on the ground and sometimes April 20th, guys could be seeding. So it's, it's really a mixed bag. But when we come out with these new seed applied technologies, um, it, it shows them that they're working to, to better equip that seed for all the different things that could come at us. So with this new seed applied technology, um, you know, they're seeing things like 
better control of seedling disease and better black leg control, uh, things like that with this new technology. So it just gives guys that, that peace of mind that if they do end up seeding a little bit earlier, that there's that protection on it for that whole growing season, you know, to get it out of the ground. We really, canola is pretty wimpy until it gets to about that three, four leaf stage. So the more things that we can do to help it get out of the ground and get established, I think is just setting farmers up for success at that early stage and which is so important. Kyle, what are you hearing from growers? Like how important is it or what are they looking for when it comes to that seed applied technology? Uh, I definitely kind of second what, what Jenna had mentioned there in regards to having kind of a complete package that's going to check off as, as many boxes as as we can to give canola the best chance out of the gate, right? Um, you know, it, for, for a lot of operations, those first few weeks of watching their canola come up and, and go, like it, it can be agonizing in some instances because it always seems to take forever, even though that's just the way it goes, right? Um, and, and once it gets going, then, then away we go. But it's, it's, uh, it's hard not to have a little bit of stress and anxiety when you're, when you're watching these very, very small seeds come, come out of the ground and, and start going. And, and you know, it's, uh, like Jenna said, we do have a small window and, and uh, you know, sometimes it's maybe not as beneficial as we would like it to be to stick that seed in the ground earlier than it, than it you know, classically should be sort of thing, right? Um, it just seems to have the best chance of success if we get it in the ground between these dates and these dates. And, and even though it might be uncomfortable for the first couple of weeks to, to watch it go, um, you know, it's never failed us yet. So it's kind of one of those where it's like the, the more that we can give it to give it a better chance to get out of the ground and get going, um, you know, the better it is for everybody. What a great segue, Kyle, when you talk about it's never failed us yet, um, you know, and and that's really, you know, what what a lot of this conversation comes down to is that, you know, Obviously, Mother Nature is going to determine, you know, what that weather is going to look like for the growing season. And the markets are going to be, you know, what they are. But if we set those two pieces kind of, you know, aside as as somewhat out of our control as growers, um, what do you think the keys are in ensuring that, uh, you know, canola remains a sustainable crop to grow, you know, not just, you know, for 2023, but, you know, for the next five, 10, you know, plus years down the road. I think it's, uh, you know, the primary or primary thing would just be like a stable platform that you, you kind of know what you're getting. Right. Um, and I think if you draw back to, you know, the, the plots that we do on a, on a regular basis, um, you know, every year brings you different data because every year is different. And being able to go back two, three, four, five, six years um, to see what different varieties have done based on different conditions that it's presented with, you know, you can come with a really good set of data and information for your customers when you're suggesting a variety. I mean, when you're there, when you're the one that's suggesting a variety or varieties for them to grow with, like, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there, right? Um, but you're coming from a position where data is giving you the information with which to make a recommendation. And they're coming to you because they trust you because they're seeing us seeding at the same time, putting the product in the ground that we're selling to them too, right? Um, and I think that that's a pretty powerful place to come from because, you know, I'm putting the same thing in the ground that I'm trying to get on your farm, you know? 
No, it, it makes total sense. And Jenna, you know, kind of same, same question for you is, you know, in terms of when we think about, you know, what's in a grower's control, you know, what's going to make sure that canola remains st- sustainable for the next decade plus? Well, I think part of it is just we need to make sure that our products keep evolving so that they are a profitable crop for our producers. So, you know, with these new things, um, you know, new seed applied technologies, Optimum Glide that we're going to be bringing out here soon, um, different traits like gluten sclero package, uh, we need to make sure that we're making things as easy as possible for customers to turn a profit. So as long as we're continuing to evolve with our products, and we can continue to keep it as a profitable crop on the farm there. Um, I think that definitely helps, you know, lengthen the life cycle of, of canola when, when a customer is thinking, what do they want to plant for their acres? You know, we want canola to be top as mine because we want, you know, in the end, it's a business. We want them to make as much money as possible. Um, and by, by uh, advancing these products and bringing more to the plate for them, I think that that's probably one of the best ways that Pioneer Hybrid can do that. Sounds like it. Well, Jenna, Kyle, thanks very much for uh, walking us through, you know, not only, um, you know, what things looked like in Saskatchewan for 2023, for 2022, but also for, um, you know, how to find that profitability and success, uh, you know, through 2023 and beyond. So Kyle, Jenna, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks Thank for you having very much. Next time, our conversation turns to an issue we've all heard about, we've all felt at one time or another. It's the conversation about maintaining strong mental health as well as where to turn when you need to talk to someone. That's next time on the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. On behalf of myself and the entire team working behind the scenes on this, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, you can always get in touch on Twitter at PioneerSeedsCA or my personal handle, fresh air farmer and for more information or advice talk to your local pioneer rep or visit pioneer.com slash canada